Hello and welcome to Such Sights to See, the podcast about my journey through cinema. My name is Patrick. I am your host, and you can follow along with my movie watching on Letterboxd. You can find me there as Long Monkey, all one word. And you can check out my other projects and weird fiction at proleary.com. So, as you know by now, I'm going to talk about a bunch of movies I watched recently and then do a little dive into a segment of cinema, cinema that I wanted to explore I'm by myself today, so I was able to pick the topic. And I picked a, ooh, a very divisive one, even in my own brain. So we'll get to that soon. But first, let's jump into what I watched recently. First thing I'm going to talk about is from 2020, Another Round, directed by Thomas Vinterberg. I've only seen The Hunt by Thomas Vinterberg, also starring Mads Mikkelsen, and I love that one. This is a story of four high school teachers that launch an experiment to determine if having a uh, an appropriate blood alcohol level is conducive to uh, performance in their lives. So they set about to just start drinking uh, enough to uh, get them out of their funk that they are each in. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a fun movie. Uh, I wouldn't say it's a comedy straight because there's a lot of drama involved, but it plays... It rides that fine line between the drama and the comedy really well. And it has a really explosively cool ending. Um, and Mads Mikkelsen is just great to watch. He plays kind of like a down-on-luck teacher in a relationship that he's just coasting by. And he's coasting by on his job. And it's noticeable until he you know, gets some alcohol in him. And then it becomes fun and vibrant and his life changes. But you know, too much alcohol could be too much of a good thing. Uh, I'll let you watch to find out why. My my problem with the movie, and it's a minor problem, I just wasn't sure what it wanted to say. I wasn't sure what the message was. It felt like there was going to be a message, and it, 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 it was cloudy by the end of it. I wasn't quite sure what it was going for, but I still enjoyed the ride. That's Another Round by Thomas Vinterberg. After that, I was continuing my trek down the They Shoot Pictures, Don't They? Top 1000, and I picked Monsieur Verdot from 1947, directed and starring Charlie Chaplin. This is one of his later talkies. In fact, it's one of his last movies that he made. And I have not seen any of his talkies before, and I was pleasantly surprised. It's a lot of fun. It's a story of a... He plays an unemployed banker, Henry Verdot, and he kind of... It's during the Depression, so he is... The only way he can find to get money for his family is to seduce and murder all these rich, uh, lonely women. And he's really good at it, uh, for the most part, although there's some comedic scenes where he's trying to, uh, to kind of seduce certain women and it's not working, which are very funny. But it's just, a, it's a very understated sort of uh, performance that has like really high moments of comedy. It's a very smart script that kind of bounces back and forth between all these characters and all these episodic instances in his life. But it kind of has a through line of, um, you know, he's doing this because he has a family, he has a kid, he has a wife that he loves, and this is the only way he could think of getting money. But he's also a sociopath who murders people. And Charlie Chaplin does a great job of, of showing both sides of that coin. It's really fun. There's a really fun side character, the, the uh, one rich woman who won the lottery. So she's not born into money. She's kind of more of a, 
a normal girl who uh, becomes rich and he's trying to get her money and, and she's such a great character. And that's, that was a lot of fun to see, uh, to see that play out on screen. Her name is Martha Ray, Annabella Bonaire. And it's a, yeah, it's a fun movie. I recommend it. Um, that was Monsieur Verdot. Okay, then I watched a movie that turned out to be great. Movie I've wanted to watch for a while. It's on the top 1000. I found it on Canopy, finally. It's Paper Moon from 1973, directed by Peter Bogdanovich. Paper Moon is famous for having <clears throat> a performance by Tatum O'Neill when she was uh, eight and nine years old. Uh, a really great performance that won her an Oscar. She's the youngest person to ever win the Oscar. And yeah, it's great. She plays this, uh, young orphan who kind of hooks up with this con man, her, her real life father, uh, Ryan O'Neill, who is just, you know, traveling across the country selling Bibles to, to, uh, um, widows and, uh, you know, kind of scraping by with a low level con. But then it finds out that, you know, this girl is actually, you know, a good addition to his crew and really good at certain things. And they kind of become like a con duo, but all the time they're butting heads with each other and, you know, just traveling across country and getting into shenanigans. And it's so, it's so fun and kind of light and heartwarming in a way. And the performance is by Tatum is really good. Um, yeah, I like this one a lot. It's a, uh, it's one I'm going to probably get for myself and revisit. That's Paper Moon, Peter Bogdanovich. Yeah, check that one out. Uh, after that, I went a little more modern. 2018, I watched Support the Girls by Andrew Bujalski. Andrew Bujalski kind of became famous during the modern mumblecore indie movement. And I haven't seen much of his. I've only seen Computer Chess, which I have mixed feelings about. Very cool aesthetic and uh, interesting concept. Maybe didn't quite work all the way for me. This one's a little more mainstream. It's about uh, ostensibly the manager of a Hooters-type establishment called um, Double Whammies. And it's a kind of slice of life in a a day on the job for her and the girls that work for her. And, um, you know, it's a lot of personal issues that she's going through and the girls are all having issues as well. And it's just kind of like this makeshift family of, Anybody who works in retail who has worked in retail will probably understand what it's like to kind of work and almost live with your coworkers, you know, every day for a long time. And then you kind of, you know, develop these bonds and you kind of enter each other's lives a little bit. And that's what this movie's about. It's about, you know, this, this makeshift uh, relationships and lives that these uh, people live together that make together that don't live together. And it's, um, it's a good slice of life movie. It's, it's pleasant, really good performances. Uh, the main character is played by Regina Hall and she does a great job. Get to see Haley Lou Richardson, um, as a, in a very peppy role as, uh, one of the lead waitresses at this restaurant, which is a lot of fun. And, um, yeah, I liked it. It's, it's, you know, it, it feels a little slight in that way that a lot of mumblecore movies feel, even though this doesn't really have that same aesthetic. And it might just be because it's, it is a slice of life movie and it's just one day in the lives of these people. It's a momentous, it's a big day, but it's still just one day. And you understand that these people are going in, continue their lives in various different directions. And you just got to get a glimpse of it. So, you know, I liked it. Support the girls, Andrew Bujalski. 
after Support the Girls, I watched, uh, this is a big one. A lot of people probably watched um, this week or recently, Zack Snyder's Justice League, the Snyder Cut from 2021, just released a few weeks ago. So I've seen Justice League and I was not a fan like most people. I tried to remember back on it and I couldn't remember much. I was like, well, I remember some dumb scenes with Superman and the Flash and and just, you know, very choppy CGI action and just a messy movie with no real character or, or style or nothing interesting happening. So I was interested just to see what this new, you know, Zack Snyder cut would be like. And I like Zack Snyder in general. I think he, you know, he, he has a good eye for cool looking scenes. And if he gets the hold of a good script, he's, he, you know, he could do a good job. And I was actually surprised how much I liked Zack Snyder's Justice League. It is four hours long. And that gives this story a lot of room to breathe. It gives the action scenes a lot of room to kind of take their time and time and set up the geography and set up the stakes properly. It gives time to develop all these characters, which were not developed at all in the DC universe, which is very important. I mean, the original Justice League is under two hours long, and you have all these characters that are being introduced for the first time. And... You know, it's like trying to set up the whole Marvel universe in two hours. It's, you know, just like Marvel took you know, how many movies to do it. So having a four hour version of that where these characters are set up properly and the stakes of what's happening is set up properly and having it build up to a really well executed climax was fun to see. I was really impressed. I didn't think I would like it as much as I did. And I think I just liked the fact that it took its it felt like an event, you know, taking its time and it, it felt like it was bigger than the average movie, which, you know, literally it is. It's four hours long, but it just felt momentous in a way that a Justice League movie should feel. Um, I think they did a really good job with Superman because Superman has always kind of been boring. He's all powerful. He can do everything. But in this movie, he doesn't really, he's not there. You know, he's, he's dead at the end of Batman versus Superman. So this time it's, it's like, he's more a symbol than anything that in this movie in the, in the justice league and the way they use that symbol, the way the characters discuss him and and what that means for the people in the world, his disappearance is very interesting. So I like that a lot. Uh, I also liked the epilogue takes a story in a lot of to a lot of interesting places. I won't spoil what the epilogue is, but I would love to see a continuation of this. It doesn't seem like your normal superhero movie, your superhero franchise. It's It goes in very interesting places that I would like explored. And it's a shame that, you know, they probably uh, won't make the, that movie, but it would be cool to see. So in a way, it's like Zack Snyder saying, you know what? This is what could have been if you let me make my Justice League and and continue the franchise the way I would have envisioned it. This is what you could have had. And, uh, you know, I'm sure the fans will be clamoring for more. And there would be a, probably a hashtag about continuing Zack Snyder's Justice League. But, uh, you know, if they do, I'm going to see it because it, uh, it looks really interesting. So, yeah, Zack Snyder's Justice League. If you think you might not like it, just give it a chance. 
so after that, I went back and watched the original Justice League because I kind of just wanted to see what the differences were. Um, and yeah, the original Justice League is still bad. And it's now that I saw the original, it's almost painful the choices they made. I mean, there must have been some studio mandate to keep it below two hours because the movie clocks in at like an hour and 59 minutes. It's too coincidental. And, you know, all the stuff that had room to breathe in the original, in the Snyder Cut, just is done with like a two-minute montage in this one. And there's so much stuff left out and the action scenes are compressed so they feel very choppy and and don't really feel like they are uh, have any weight to them, story weight or physical action weight. So... Yeah, uh, don't watch the original. Check out the Snyder Cut. Uh, and after that, you know, I continued the Zack Snyder uh, train. This is not the little dive. I didn't do a little dive into Zack Snyder this week. It just so happened that because I was talking with Zack, about Zack Snyder, <clears throat> we went back and watched his first movie, Dawn of the Dead, from 2004. I liked Dawn of the Dead when it came out, and revisiting it was fun. It's a solid zombie movie. It's about, you know, it's a remake of the original Dawn of the Dead about a group of survivors who get um, trapped in a shopping mall during a zombie apocalypse. And it is the type of movie I like. It's a zombie movie. It has characters trapped in a place, and you get to kind of see these dynamics develop of all the different characters and how they interact with each other. And it, um, you know, at the time, I remember people were upset about the fast zombies. But you know what? Fast zombies are scarier than slow zombies. I'm going to say it. They run fast. They can get you quicker. Uh, you know, slow zombies are cool, but fast zombies have the potential to be scarier. So, and Zack Snyder does a good job with these. They are relentless, and there's really good practical effects. Um, you know, the movie's definitely not perfect. There's a lot of weird things in it, a lot of stuff that, you know, Zack Snyder went a little over the top with. Um but overall, it does a really good job of setting up that apocalyptic feel from the beginning. Like things start out normal and then very quickly turn into a zombie apocalypse. And that transition is done really well. And by the time that happens, you're in the movie. And it's just cool to be like, Ooh, what would I do in this situation? How are these people going to get out of this? And then it kind of builds up to a really nice uh, ending. So yeah, Dawn of the Dead, if you like zombies, check it out if you haven't already. All right, <clears throat> time for my little dive. So this week, I decided to watch a couple movies written and directed by a performer that I don't know much about, Jerry Lewis. So Jerry Lewis um, was part of a comedy, you know, song singing duo uh, with Dean Martin back in the day. They made a bunch of movies together, and then he went off as, on his own in the 60s and became a huge star, writing and directing and starring in a, in a couple of movies that were huge hits, and people loved him, and uh, that's where I started. I started with the big one, The Ladies' Man from 1961. So, yeah, directed, written by Jerry Lewis. It's a story of... Uh, a guy who just graduates college and his longtime girlfriend, who he's about to propose to, uh, leaves him for another man and he swears off women. Uh, and then he just starts searching for a job and happens to find one at an all women's boarding house and is tricked into staying there. And shenanigans ensue. 
Now, there, I've never been more at odds with myself while watching a movie. There are so many incredible, wonderful, imaginative, imaginative things in this film. For instance, the set of this uh, boarding house is essentially a giant dollhouse, Wes Anderson style, where the camera could move up and down, in and out of rooms that, you know, it's like cut out like half of a house so you can see everything at once. It can zoom out and see multiple, multiple rooms. It could travel through hallways. It was like travel up and down stairs. It's a huge set. It must have been incredibly, incredibly time intensive and expensive to build. And he uses that to great effect for a lot of bits, including a very cool sort of musical number where all the girls are waking up and they're singing and the camera's moving from room to room and downstairs. It's brilliant. Uh, and there's a lot of stuff like that in this film. But the thing that I hate about this film is Jerry Lewis and his performance. He is such a grating character. So aggravating to watch. He, his persona is annoying and obtrusive and hurts my ears and my eyes to watch him perform. And I have no idea how this character became so popular, how he became so popular and people seem to like this type of performance because this isn't the only movie he's done this in. And I do not understand it. He's a brilliant director. Just the way he moves the camera, the way he sets up scenes. He's a great writer with the way he sets up these gags. I mean, there's so many imaginative jokes and performances um, from like side characters in this. But every time Jerry Lewis was on the screen, I was like, man, I hate this movie. <laughs> but every time he wasn't on the screen, I was like, wow, this is, I love this movie. I mean, the opening intro to this film is wonderful. And he's only in it for like a second. There's a scene where it's an idyllic street. And this has to be another set that they built, just this whole street of this town. And it's nice, like small town America. Everyone's nice and quiet. And, you know, there's a woman walking down the street and everything's nice and beautiful. And then she bumps into Jerry Lewis's character who screams his, you know, hello in his Jerry Lewis voice. And then she jumps and screams and she knocks into something and it starts this huge chain reaction of all this stuff bumping into other stuff and people falling off ladders and cars crashing into each other. And it's just, it's a brilliant opening. I loved it. Uh, but that was, you know, that didn't really have him in it. And then once he starts showing up, I'm like, what is happening in this movie? Oh man, I can talk all day about the dichotomy in my head uh, as I was watching the ladies man. So I found it hard to rate, you know, five stars for everything, zero stars for Jerry Lewis himself. I gave it two and a half stars. I don't know if that'll stick, but that's where I stood at the time I watched it. So after that, I was like, oh man, maybe I won't do my dive on, on Jerry Lewis. I don't know if I could watch another movie like this, but I, but I powered through and I watched The Nutty Professor from 1963, thinking that this might be a little different because of the story. The story is, again, written and directed by him. He plays a chemistry professor at a local college that is kind of like this, his Jerry Lewis character, very weird voice. And uh, obviously, they, the Simpsons modeled Professor Frank off of uh, this character, the way he talks. And he uh, kind of gets bullied by this jock 
and decides he wants to use science to turn himself into a real man and develops a potion that turns into a suave uh, character, like a Romeo character. So it's like a Jekyll and Hyde sort of thing where you got this nutty professor and then the suave Romeo. And um, I thought it would be maybe more bearable because I thought the suave character would be fun to watch. And again, same sort of thing. There's brilliant scenes in this movie. So many cool directorial choices. Um, there's a the, there's a scene where he first transforms into a suave Romeo character and he's walking through the streets and everybody, the camera's from his perspective, his POV, and you see it as he's, you see everybody's reaction as they see him. And it's just like, people stop in their tracks and look at him and it's an extended long tracking shot with perfect sound mixing and perfect like choreography. And it's really, really great. Uh, so there's stuff like that in this movie, but then you got the nutty professor character, which is so annoying to watch, not as annoying as his character in the ladies man, but still pretty annoying. And then his suave Romeo. Yeah. He may be suave and suave and debonair. How many times can I say suave in this episode? Uh, he may be debonair and cool, but he is also extremely annoying because he is fast talking and mean and aggressive. And it's just not a fun character to watch. And I quite don't quite, again, don't quite know how <laughs> Jerry Lewis's characters became so um, popular with audiences. But having said that, the movie itself, again, Full of brilliant bits, great writing, great jokes. There's so many gags and they're so imaginative that it's just, I appreciated that. Don't know if I liked it as much as The Lady Man. It didn't have The Ladies Man. It did not have that cool set or the cool opening sequence. Um, but it was still a good one in directing and a bad one in the acting. So, uh, that's where I stood on jerry lewis after the second movie but i decided to watch one more this was a different type of jerry lewis movie that he directed and wrote this one all the way in 1983 this was the last movie he directed it's called smorgasbord also known as cracking up and this was his last gasp at directing he uh you know, had become less popular over the years. He was addicted to methadone and had some troubles and still popular in France, apparently, which is how he got funding to make this film. And it's kind of definitely not a big studio comedy. It's kind of shot on the small, you know, the small sets and there's no cohesive story at all. It's just about a typical Jerry Lewis character who has trouble doing everything, who wants to kill himself. So he goes to see a psychiatrist to you know, figure out how he can be cured. And that's just the impetus for a whole bunch of set pieces of like weird uh, skits almost. Um, this one I actually liked a lot more in a way. It's not as brilliantly directed as his previous ones, but I kind of got an appreciation of his gag writing. This movie is a gag a minute, like literally a gag a minute for 89 minutes. <laughs> There's like a joke every you know, a couple seconds, there's a joke. And, you know, that some of them are unexpected. Some of them are really funny. Some of them are just uh, really brilliant in a way. And some are bad. Uh, you know, it's not all good when you have that many jokes. But 
his performance in this one is a little less grating. I think he's has a lot less energy. He's older. There's um, a lot of different characters he plays. So I think there's a lot less of that Jerry Lewis annoying, annoying energy in this one than the previous ones. So I appreciated that more. Oh, it was a shame that we didn't get to see him have a lot of money and do these big imaginative things that he did in the previous films, but he did have some imaginative jokes, which I really liked. Like he's going to the, he has to fly to London for some reason. He goes to the airport. He sees a sign for the flight to London costing, you know, $300 or whatever. He moves on to the next airline. It's a little cheaper and he moves on to next airline and it's really cheap. And he goes up to the guy and he's like, I want to buy a ticket to London. And then the clerk just says, uh, hold on one moment and disappears behind his desk and just starts laughing uncontrollably that someone wants to buy a ticket from this airline. And then that kind of joke kind of gets compounded upon itself as you see all the horrible things are hinted at that are going to happen to him if he goes on this plane. And it just continues for a few minutes in that way. And it's, you know, there's a lot of good jokes there. It's a lot of fun. But then there's like, I don't know, there's, I don't want to spoil too much. I think if you want to get a sense of Jerry Lewis, these three movies did a really good job for me. You know, I've, I've only really seen him before in um, King of Comedy, you know, with Robert De Niro, Scorsese film where he plays like, um, I guess, a version of himself almost in old age. And he was great in that. Uh, so... This, I think, was the real Jerry Lewis. These three movies, it's just a good sense of him. And after watching Smorgasbord, I think I appreciate his writing and joke-telling a lot more than I did watching the previous two films, although I really appreciate his direction in those. So, you know, I'm really still of two minds. I was trying to... I came to into this podcast episode thinking I would have a strong opinion on which way to fall, but I don't. I think Jerry Lewis deserves more exploration on my part and on anybody's part who likes movies. You know, there's some good stuff there. Just, uh, you know, be prepared to be beaten over the head with some annoying, annoying voices while you watch them. So that is it for my little dive into Jerry Lewis. Now, I know you know I would not leave you without an uncommon film recommendation. So because we talked about Jerry Lewis and kind of the vaudeville craziness of his movies, I'm going to recommend a movie called Lavender Lights from 1965, directed by Giuseppe Tortun. So Lavender Lights is this like crazy vaudevillian um, film. It was filmed in Italy, but dubbed in English. And that's interesting because... One of the characters is played by Robert De Niro. So you get to see him play the character, but his voice is not his voice. So it's really funny to watch it. And he plays a carny that falls in love with a beautiful performer. But the only way he can catch her eye is to kind of put on the best show he can to get her to notice him. So he tries a bunch of things like juggling and knife throwing. And the movie gets really weird. It's a comedy, but it has that, like that crazy energy like some of these Jerry Lewis movies do. So it's chock full of gags, and it kind of has that 60s weird aesthetic, too. So there's some weird surreal stuff. Like at one point, Robert De Niro turns into a snake, and the the effects 
I'm not going to spoil it, but the effects make watching the movie worth it just for that one scene. So check it out if you can. It's called Lavender Lights from 1965 by Giuseppe Tortune. All right, everybody. That is it for this episode of Such Sights to See. Again, check out my film watching on Letterboxd. I'm on there with Long Monkey. Check out my other projects and on PROleary.com. So until next time, have a good night and sweet dreams. <laughs>